created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you could be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or our guests questions by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. I will try to get to you, but I do ask that everyone be respectful. Today's guest is David Crow, author of the multi-award winning memoir, The Pale Faced <coughs> Lie, A True Story. Through grit, resilience, and the thirst for learning, he managed to escape his abusive childhood, graduate from college, and build a successful lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. Throughout the years, he has mentored over 200 college interns, performed pro bono services for the charitable organization Save the Children, and participated in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. As an advocate for women, he will donate a percentage of his royalties from the pale-faced lie to Barrett House, a homeless shelter for women in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <clears throat> David, thank you so much for joining me today. Laura Lee, it's my pleasure. I am a big fan of yours and I'm very excited. Oh, thank you so much. I Well, I wanted to talk about your amazing memoir, The Pale Faced <clears throat> Lie. It has garnered so many awards. Could you talk a little bit about your book, why you decided to write it, <clears throat> and did you expect this type of success it received? <clears throat> One, I did not expect this type of success. Um, it took me a very long time to write it. I think you would know this very well. Most people have been through real trauma. Don't just go out and start talking about it, telling people about it, regaling them with details. <clears throat> For most of us, at least me, I was deeply ashamed, um, very much felt guilt some survivor guilt, but just guilt about being a part of such a, a really difficult family. And when I finally decided to write it, um, decades after most of this went on, there were two things that struck me. One is, unless you really find a way to deal with severe trauma, it never goes away. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you dream about it, you think about it, but it also seeps into your personality in ways that you don't even know. And so one of my favorite expressions is, childhood is a city you can never leave. And if you had enough trauma, you're gonna have to find a way to leave it. It won't leave you. As you get older, you won't just get better. It, it, it's, it never leaves. So to, be, to answer your question, by the time I decided to write it, I had found a way to work through most of the issues. And I decided that I felt that there are a lot of people in the world who really never overcome their trauma if it's severe enough. And I wanted to let people know that a person who's considered, who I would consider very average, me, who didn't necessarily do all the right things, who stumbled for decade after decade trying to figure out how to be happy, how to clear up a lot of the internal <clears throat> demons, that if I could do it, a lot of other people could do it. 
And that part of that process, and it's something I never expected, is I wound up forgiving my mother and father, which was difficult, but I did it. And then I began forgiving myself. And it's like an entire new world opened up to me that I never expected. Uh, I never thought anybody in my family could break the cycle. I never thought I would really like myself and be happy. So I wrote it not, not as a victim, not to keep score, not to get even, and not to be a Superman, because I am anything but, but to show that the average person, if they work at it hard enough, can work through darn near anything, things you think are impossible. Wow, that's a great message, because it is true. I mean, it is really, it's really hard to overcome childhood trauma. And you know, sometimes you think it's just your fault. Though maybe other people are like this, or this is just how I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. Because I know that's how I felt for a very long time. I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think it, it's hard to seek out help when you think, oh, this is just me. Um, right, and and there's nothing I can do to get this off of me. It's almost felt like, and and I mean to interrupt you, but like you've fallen into mud that's got stinky mud or garbage on you and you get up and you can never get that off of you you know that I I used to always think well the apple doesn't fall far from the seed Um, I'm going to be like my dad or my Mm -hmm. mentally ill mom you know there's no way to escape her because I have half her gene pool Um, I just really went for a very long time thinking I could be no better and do no better. And Laura Lee, I know you know this better than I do because you've done such a great job with this podcast, but I've received over 20,000 reviews on Goodreads and it's almost 12,000 on Amazon. And there are two kinds of of, uh, messages that really upset me. One will be from an older person and they'll say, I went through something very much like you I can never trust, I can never love, I'm gonna die alone. I know I'm fat, stupid, ugly, you name it, whatever the horrible connotation is, that's been beat into them by the people that should have loved them that didn't, and they were never able to break through that. And that really upsets me. The other upsets me, I get a lot of letters from prisoners because there's a lot about my dad's life in a maximum security prison in the book. And it's like, I grew up like you, I had a dad in prison like you, violent criminal, and now I'm serving like my third 10 year term and my kids won't be there on my deathbed because I'm such a horrible guy. And I write every one of the prisoners back and I'll say, I understand a lot went wrong for you and that you've done a lot wrong. But your goal should be to get out of prison, support the woman that uh, brought you these children, make sure that you're a presence in their life, and be their hero on your deathbed. Break the cycle. You still have time to do that. Who wants to die in a jail cell where everybody hates you and you did horrible things? You can change that. And stop being a victim and stop pretending that you can't make good decisions and that you don't have any choice in the matter. You do, 
you have a choice and you're going to stumble, fall back, one step forward, two steps backwards. I did that a thousand times. Never give up. Yeah, I think that's the hard part, right? A lot of people think, oh, healing and recovery is 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 linear. It's a straight line, and you know, the truth yeah. is, it's just it's it, there. It's it is two one step forward, two steps back, and 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 that's how it's going to be for a little bit. But trust me, you know, from your experience, from my experience as as a children of abuse, we it's hard. But there, there is, there's light at the other side that I feel like a lot that I didn't even know existed, right? I mean, I'm living a life that I, I'm like, I don't recognize who I was um, five years ago. Um, right. So, so that's, that's a really hard thing, I think, for people to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing I was talking to somebody yesterday and it's um, who'd been through something like you and me, and it's that you don't think you deserve better. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll get a letter from a woman. My dad beat my mom. I married a man who beat me, you know, and you think we fall into cycles. We fall into what we think we deserve. You don't deserve to be treated right. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to chart your own course. You're no better than the people who brought you into this world, and you're going to enter no better. <clears throat> and if you have children, they're going to be just as bad off as you. And that, and that That is so sad for me. And you know big cycles go like this, and you know how hard it is to break the cycle. And I think... Your podcast, I wish every person in the world that felt terrible about themselves and thought they could never do better would listen to this and start saying, you know, I can. I can do better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You can do better. We all can do better. Um, so thank you. And for deserve that. better. And deserve yes. better. Absolutely. Um, I do want to talk about your father because I, I think you. it's a very unique story. Um, your father was an ex-con and, and for the longest time you and your siblings really, really idolized him. Yes. Um, when was it that when you realized he wasn't the hero you originally believed? Well, you know, I saw it along the way, but I didn't believe it. In other words, you know, it's, it's interesting how you can know something, but it doesn't become part of you. So I remember even, you know, and, and this is something I, you know, I don't know, the human brain is so complicated, but there would be times, many times, my first angel was an elderly Navajo woman who had no education, um, who had grown up dirt poor in a Hogan. Her grandmother walked back from the long walk where soldiers shot anybody old and firm, pregnant, went through the worst kind of, you know, genocide you can have. And she was the most kind, loving, giving, and super intelligent. And she was the very first person that gave me unconditional love. Everybody who loved me, and I look at my mom and dad, they wanted something. And they wanted something they shouldn't take away from me. To beat me, to make me do crimes, to make me hate. And... I never thought love could be any different, right? If you love me and uh, 
sure enough, no matter what I get out of this, you're going to ask me to do something bad. And there's going to be this terrible pattern of us doing bad things to others and each other. And I thought every relationship worked that way. Man, woman, whether it's romantic, whether you're a child, son. And I never, so Evelyn comes along. She loves me. She listens to me. She lets me cry on her shoulder. She tells me about kindness, about being gentle, about harmony. And all she wants for me is to wipe my tears, clean the blood off of me and make me better. And I remember that was an incredible epiphany that I, I could, I could never understand it. I never told her I loved her because I was afraid she wouldn't say it back was always afraid she wouldn't show up. She showed up every time. And that was my first example. But I have seven angels I list in my book, and every one of them taught me there could be a different way. And how long it took for all those lessons to take. But I can tell you now, and for a long time before this, I wake up every day and think about all those angels and what they did for me and how much I loved them and it was always unconditional love. It was always do the right thing. And it was always, I'm there for you. And uh, completely the opposite of way I was raised, but it did let me see that you don't have to be mean, brutal, you know, possessive. You don't have to hurt people to get ahead in life. You can be a good guy, a good gal. You can just do the right thing. And it's the best thing to do but I was not raised to, to, to believe that. I think that's what's amazing about these guardian angels that we have that, you know, at the time you don't, you don't realize they're just kind souls who are helping you along the way. You know, I look back and think of all these, you know, friends, parents who, who made me feel loved. Um, and, and, you know, the, these people are very important. It's, it's, and it's the kindness yes. of strangers that I feel really help people who struggle with with trauma um because when you struggle with trauma there's there's so much there's lack of trust there you're too scared you're to trust anyone Um, but when there's someone who shows you that you can that that really helps propel you out of you know this this mindset that you're in like i can't trust anybody um you talk about in your book your your father had you know, had you basically do his bidding, um, commit crimes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how did you react to that? Well, as a kid, you know, I think you're, my father was so intelligent, big, strong, and my mom very weak. And I love her very much, but she didn't play much of a role in doing anything except needing me. There were plenty of times when I felt like I, she was my child. But dad was big, strong, smart. You know, he, we're, he's going to teach me how the world works and what I need to do when I get in the world. <clears throat> well, the, all the lessons are everybody lies, everybody steals, everybody cheats. Uh, it's the law of the jungle. You take what you want and all, all your only goal is to be smart enough not to get caught 
You live by a certain code, and the code is, if anybody wrongs you, you wrong them times 10. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and beyond. <clears throat> Even how he would talk about women. You know, you know, that's a woman I could use. I, I'm 10. What the heck does that mean? <clears throat> but it meant that's all they are. They're tools. They're things that they're, they're for your pleasure and they're for nothing else. <clears throat> and there were all these lessons. And then and then, um, you know, more specifically, <clears throat> we would go out and steal very expensive tools. Um, and then I would help dad fence them, sell them to <clears throat> to people who would resell them. So he was the safety officer for the Navajo Indian Reservation in, in the Fort Defiance Agency <clears throat> during my first stealing. And so he was in charge of these giant warehouses, Quonset huts, that had very expensive power tools. <clears throat> and they didn't have particularly good inventory and they had more tools than they needed. And they were in warehouses everywhere and he had keys to everything. <clears throat> so he would steal them, but never steal so many that people noticed or he thought they wouldn't notice. And we would go to town and sell them. <clears throat> but the first thing we, he taught me was how I would sit in the car and he would go in the warehouse and steal. <clears throat> and he created this signal. If you see a car and it could be something, but not immediately, throw a rock against the warehouse and it's corrugated steel, so it'd make a big noise, you know, big bang. <clears throat> if it's a real warning, throw two, boom, boom, and that's like a yellow light. <clears throat> if there's imminent danger, three, just bam, bam, bam. And so we developed this code <clears throat> and how to, and of course, you're on a reservation, and, you, and it's flat as a pancake. You can see a car for 20 miles, <clears throat> but you have no idea if it's dangerous or not, it's like an ant. And so he, he would get really mad at me if a car came by and it was nothing. I'd wasted his time. <clears throat> but I was always afraid somebody would come and catch us. And after they caught us, he would beat me to death. So <clears throat> I was trained to be his lookout. And then I could egg him on. I figured out how to do this pretty early. And he would tell me stories about prisoners in San Quentin the murders that the men talked about in the big yard, murders they had never been caught for. You know, no one's ever in prison for something they did, of course. Everybody's innocent. And that's one of the first real jokes in a prison. But I think everybody in there says that. He taught me how the inner part of a prison works, how violent criminals respond, um, what he did to defend himself. Teach, you know, And he took me into a world deep into a world of physical harm and crime, life, death. <clears throat> Some dads teach their kids about baseball, how to do their math homework. My dad taught me how to be a master criminal <clears throat> and how to set my own code and not get caught. That was his goal. When did you, I, I know that you had these guardian <clears throat> angels that, who were guiding you. But I mean, it's hard to believe that's, you know, with, with your father teaching you how to be a master criminal, how to not grow up to to not be a master criminal. Um, well, did you did right. you did you experience anything from this post-traumatic, you know, 
stress of of this trauma did you was there ever a time in your life where you felt that you needed to go that route well you know it, it's it's funny you ask that because this is a the, it's a fabulous question and i get it from prisoners themselves who are behind bars serving long sentences right so what you're bringing up is very real and i guess i remember this is something in the book <clears throat> That, um, that really hit me as much as Evelyn's love hit me. Dad loved boxing. <clears throat> and he, you know, boy, he really wanted to see his favorite fighter beat the other fighter to death, right? He just, you know, like gladiator stuff. <clears throat> and there was a particular boxing match that's in my book where Dad really anticipated it. And it was the two fighters, one had disrespected the other, <clears throat> accused him of being gay and that was way back in the day you know you just you could never even say that word <clears throat> that somehow that this boxer during the weigh-in slapped him in the rear and he he disrespected him he broke the code <clears throat> so dad and i were going to listen to this fight and we're going to sit in the car because it had the best radio that we had <clears throat> so we sat in the garage in the car and the fight goes on and as the fight goes on, Dad's getting more and more animated. I thought he was going to knock the windshield out with his fist. <clears throat> He's screaming, you know, kill, kill, kill. Well, at the end of this fight, the, the boxer that Dad hated <clears throat> was beaten so badly that the last round, he couldn't put his hands up. His eyes were closed, and the other boxer was slamming him into the ropes, and he would bounce back. And they would hit him again and again and again. <clears throat> it was really a homicide. And at the end of the fight, the boxer fell straight down on the canvas without even raising his arms to break the fall. <clears throat> and Norman Mailer was the guy doing the announcement, very famous guy back in the day. And he said, I've never seen one man hit another so hard, so often in any fight ever and dad was screaming and yelling kill 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 and of course the guy went into a coma and died and dad turned to me and he said that's what you do you kill when somebody breaks the code and i threw up and i was sickened and my internal moral code said this is 100 percent wrong in every sense of the word i don't want to be anything like that and so inside I was fighting back, but I was scared outside to do anything about it. <clears throat> but my own internal moral code said, this is horrible. You don't want to be anything like this guy. Wow. Yep. You, you, you had that in you. And I think I had that in me <clears throat> and my siblings did too. I mean, there's not a, I have a younger brother who's much bigger, stronger than me. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And, you know, my older sister's basically a hippie. They had a hard time breaking the cycle, not because if they were mean to anybody, but because all that had been done to them, they absorbed it and they had a very hard time fighting through it. But none of us are violent. None of us are mean. Um, the only fights I ever got into beyond college, I saw a man hit a woman once in a bar and I just walked up. And I hit him with all of my strength and hit him right in the jaw and knocked him right down. And I probably shouldn't have done that, but I was so upset. 
that he did that. And because <clears throat> I watched my dad beat my mom. And, um, you know, I hate, I really despise people who are violent, who are bullies. <clears throat> I really, really despise that. That's, mm -hmm. that's what my dad was. He used his physical strength and his intimidation <clears throat> to bully people over and over again. And he was just a thug when it came to how he treated people that, that he wanted to take advantage of. <clears throat> and disgusting, sickening. Oof. You say your mother was too mentally ill to protect you and your, your siblings. Oh, poor mom. Dad yeah. beat her to a pulp. I mean, mom has a ninth grade education. Probably knows as much as about a third or fourth grader. <clears throat> she had a terrible life. I mean, she didn't come close to breaking the cycle. She just, she just was more of a kid than we were. <clears throat> when my dad abandoned her, the year he abandoned her and she went homeless, the reason I went with him <clears throat> instead of her, I loved her. I felt sorry for her. the hurt I did for her being a part of what made her feel abandoned. <clears throat> Something that I've had a hard time working with. I've worked through it, but mm. still there. <clears throat> I knew that if she stayed in our house, he would physically kill her, probably right in front of us. <clears throat> now she, uh, poor mom never stood a chance. And every time I give uh, a big check to the Barrett house, the homeless shelter in Albuquerque, it's the kind of place I wish she had available to her <clears throat> when she went homeless. But there was a man who's basically a one-man philanthropy who she somehow knew through my dad's work. Somehow she knew about this guy, <clears throat> and she kept calling him. She's sleeping in her car. She's sleeping in a park. She had very little money, <clears throat> no place to go, very little food. And she just put her dime in the phone booth, called him over and over, and eventually he was at his desk. I mean, she could never leave a number. <clears throat> and he came and got her, got her a place to live, got her food, got her clothing, <clears throat> got her a waitress trainee job at a place called the Copper Bowl <clears throat> in Albuquerque and got her legal help to eventually be able to see her kids. He saved her life. <clears throat> and if it wasn't for him, a man named Jack Daniel. And I tried to go back and thank some of the angels. And he wasn't my angel. He was her angel. But <clears throat> he's everybody's angel because he stopped her from being killed. And mm -hmm. um, basically, I look at the shelter that I donate to. And I think how many of my moms are out there where somebody's beating them to a pulp and they have nothing. And mm. that stays with you. That stays with you. <clears throat> yeah, I can imagine. What were the ramifications of all of the abuse that you experienced growing up? You had a moral moral <clears throat> compass, but I can imagine that there was some self-doubt, some some issues. I, I mean, at least from my from my experience, you know, there was a lot of, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, and, and I don't trust anyone. Did you, what type of PTSD did you experience, you know? <clears throat> Well, I had Once all of that. Out of it. When you don't love yourself, you will find people who don't love you either. <clears throat> and you will, it will lead to very bad things. <clears throat> so if you don't love yourself, 
you don't know that. Maybe you do at some level <clears throat> subconsciously, but you don't know that. So you wind up seeking people who don't love you either. <clears throat> and in your words, you don't deserve it. There's no way you can get it. <clears throat> if you meet somebody wonderful, which happened to me in college, <clears throat> came from a good family, and they say, well, well, I'll love you anyway. We'll accept your family. Well, no, you won't. <clears throat> and you shouldn't. You know, that's brutal. Um, you, I just ran from that, right? And so you're running from what you need. <clears throat> but you know for a fact, at least in your head, that if that person knows you and knows where you come from, they won't want anything to do with you. You don't want anything to do with yourself. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this was a huge issue for me. And it created lots of adult problems. And it took me a very, very long time <clears throat> to understand that I didn't love myself, to understand that I had broken <clears throat> my, in my heart, my soul, somewhere along, where along the way it had been broken. <clears throat> and that my goal was to fix that and develop a stronger self-image, to decide that I deserve better, that I had better to offer, <clears throat> that I didn't have to be that way. I mean, I don't think the word happy was a word that meant anything to me until I was probably 40. It just didn't exist. <clears throat> no one in my family was happy. They, they, it was dog-eat-dog, dog, just, <clears throat> you know, you're just surviving. You're just trying to get through. And you'd see happy families that had no more to do with you than looking up and seeing the moon. <clears throat> Never occurred to me that a family could be happy, that you could make another person happy, that you cared that that other person was happy. <clears throat> I mean, I loved my kids tremendously, but I didn't love myself. And it created a ton of issues. And now they're adults and they're my best friends. And <clears throat> I'm incredibly fortunate that I was able to turn that around and that they were forgiving and understanding. <clears throat> and every time I look at them, I say, thank God you broke the cycle. You don't hate yourselves. You don't think badly of yourself. <clears throat> You've attracted great spouses. You've attracted, <clears throat> you're in great profession. You're respected, you're loved, and you show that kind of love. <clears throat> and it, it, I tear up every single time because I never, <laughs> ever thought anything like that could come into my life. Wow. That is, that's beautiful. That is, that is beautiful. That actually <laughs> made my eyes water. Um, uh, how long did it take you to process the trauma that that you experienced in childhood? You said you didn't well, even understand the word happy until about 40. I'd say no. I was in my early 50s before I ever really got to the other side of this. Can you tell <clears> me how you got there? <clears throat> well, I kept working. I read every self-help book on the earth. Didn't help. Went to therapy. Didn't help. <clears throat> and I'm not knocking either one of those, by the way. I just for me, it didn't help. You know, you right. read a book, write, write yourself a letter to your child. I love you. You're great. Nah, that stuff didn't work. <clears throat> Nothing worked. And one day I went, I would always go back to um, Gallup, New Mexico, which is where I grew up in Gallup and Fort Defiance. And I would sit in front of this house and I would, when I would sit in front of the house, <clears throat> I would always remember that all the worst things in my life happened to me in that house. We abandoned my mom. <clears throat> this is where I broke down and never told anybody again what I'd been through. Um, 
at that point, I completely shut down. I did not like myself, and I didn't deserve anything good. When I was in my very early 50s, maybe 51, 52, I would always go back to Gallup and always sit in front of that house. And a man in that house ran out, knocked on the window and said, you keep coming by my house. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? You know, you're like some kind of weird stalker. And I said, no, no, no. I lived in this house. This is where all these bad things happened to me. He didn't believe me, but I described every single thing in that house to a point where he said, oh, my God, you must have been that kid. You know, I said, there's a rust streak on the pipe in the basement on the left side. The green and black tile was chipped. How do you know there's green and black tile? Because I lived there. The steps. So after about five minutes of this, he brought me in. I walked into the house. He was a very kind, simple, and I say that meaning he was just a straightforward, easy guy. He's a widow that had retired from the city of Gallup Public Works. His kids were grown, and he lived there by himself. And I walked into his living room, and I saw my mom in a fetal position. I remembered the day that where I completely broke and her begging me not to leave her, my father slamming her to the ground, <clears throat> him hitting me so hard that, and I didn't feel it. <clears throat> I knew I, I realized now I had a complete nervous breakdown. He hit me, my head bounced off his elbow, hit a window, didn't feel either one. <clears throat> I never told anybody what happened to me that day. But I went back in that house and that man and I talked for 12 hours. He fed me, yeah. <clears throat> we talked to them from, three or four in the afternoon till like 2 a.m. <clears throat> the next morning, I got up and called my father, something I would never do. He answered on one ring. I said, did it ever bother you what you did to us? <clears throat> my mother, my siblings. And he said, drop dead, go to hell, don't revise history. You're a weakling. You're not much of a man. I knew you wouldn't be. Don't revise history to make yourself feel better. You go straight to hell. And he slammed the phone down. And at that moment, I was released from it. I had been living up all my life trying to be mean enough, tough enough, bad enough for him. I had locked myself into a small prison that I couldn't break out of. I didn't want to be that, but that's who I was because he told me that. I called my mom. and This was a much more difficult conversation. Mom's a really good person. She's just a very broken person and she's mentally ill. There's two things. And I said, did it, did you feel badly that when you went homeless, you begged me to go out on the street with you to cut grass, deliver newspapers. We'd go on welfare. I'd be the man of the house. Did it ever occur to you what you did to a 10 year old boy? And she said, you should have gone with me. You abandoned me. You have a lot to answer Mm -hmm. for. And you know that. When I put that phone down, I said, okay, here's the prison that you've built. Brutal father that wishes you were probably killing people. A mentally ill mother that wanted you to be the husband, father, protector. You're 10 years old. You're 52 years old, and you're still that traumatized kid that is trapped between these two pieces. You've got to forgive them, and you've got to free yourself. And very gradually, every day got better for me from that moment on. Wow. 
Do you have a relationship at all with either of your parents? <clears throat> at the end of the book, you'll find that I was my dad's legal and medical guardian. <clears throat> that the, I, And several times he said to me, I would have never done this for you. And I said, I know that. <clears throat> I'm going to be the son you don't deserve for the father I did deserve. <clears throat> and understand completely, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> and we talked and talked and talked that last year. And I said, I'm going to write a book about this. <clears throat> I'm going to teach people how to overcome a monster like you. And he said, I don't understand. And I said, you don't have to. <clears throat> I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I'm going to do anything I can to make your life better. On his deathbed, <clears throat> we both knew he was going to die. He pulled me down. His right hand was still strong enough to break, you know, a, a timber. <clears throat> He pulled me down and he said, I want you to kiss me. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, I kissed him on both cheeks. I know this sounds ridiculous. <clears throat> and he said, you're the only one I really love. <clears throat> you are always the one. And I said, Dad, all four of your children deserve the love. <clears throat> they were all great people. They are great people. We all loved you no matter what you did to us. <clears throat> Just know that. Mm -hmm. And he said, and I knew it was the final moment. <clears throat> and I said, any regrets, Dad? And he said, you know, there's still a few bastards I wish I got. I laughed. He laughed. <clears throat> I said, you know, Dad, you're going out on your own terms. <clears throat> you're going out the way you want to go out. We have four kids that love you. We admire you <clears throat> in spite of everything. And he said, I just want you to do one thing. Give me one hell of a eulogy. <clears throat> I said, I will, but I will tell no lies, but I will. You could read or write. You could read at age four. <clears throat> you pick cotton, black breaking labor <clears throat> when you should have been in school. You have a genius IQ. <clears throat> the distance you came from where you started, where you end is unbelievable. <clears throat> you could have done anything with your life. You were that smart and that strong. <clears throat> but I'm not going to lie about the other things. I'm not going to bring them up. Funeral's no time for that. <clears throat> and my siblings got really mad at me about the eulogy. They said, oh, you should have said all these things about what he did. And I said, that's not where you, that's not where you do it. <clears throat> the funeral's not a place to air dirty laundry. Talking in front of strangers or people that you don't need to subject is not the place for this. <clears throat> you're not trying to keep score and you're not trying to get even. What you're trying to do is live a good life. <clears throat> and what you want to do is come to terms with the parent, if you can. <clears throat> I came to the best terms I could. Um, it was never perfect, and he frequently criticized me for <clears throat> even when I would s s go to work and sleep all night and just brush my teeth and go straight back to work to take care of him. <clears throat> he always was demanding, angry. Always had a chip on his shoulder. Always felt life had screwed him, so to speak. <clears throat> he never changed that way. But I didn't need any of that. I And I told him, I forgave you completely. <clears throat> and he said, I don't get your do-good or forgiveness thing. I said, you don't need to. You don't need to do anything except try to behave <clears throat> around nurses and doctors and <laughs> just 
which he didn't. He grabbed one nurse by the rear end and squeezed his, her. <clears throat> I took his hand and said, I'm going to break your hand off. You're going to apologize if you ever touch another female <clears throat> in this hospital. I will put a pill over your head and you'll go out right then. You're not going to do that. <clears throat> He's like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was a mess till the end. He was a total mess. <clears throat> he just, but that's okay. I think what I want to tell any trauma survivor is <clears throat> forgiving them isn't saying it's okay. And it's also not getting anything back. You're doing this for you. <clears throat> Everything's about you. You need to get better and hating the people who did this to you isn't going to get you to your next place. <clears throat> Absorb it, understand it, get rid of it, kind of like you would wiping that mud off of you. <clears throat> but by all means, don't let them live in your head rent free. And I got one letter from a <clears throat> woman who said, I hate you. Your book is full of, you know what, and you're an idiot. And <clears throat> I was hmm. molested. And I said, yeah, my sisters were too. How can you forgive a molester? That makes you a molester. I said, no, 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 no. <clears throat> what you're not understanding is you forgive the unforgivable, so to speak, <clears throat> by understanding they're not going to change. There's nothing you could have done. And they're, and they're not going to be any different. They have one more chance to <clears throat> be a molester. They would. But you've got to get that out of your head and you've got to get to, on a path to your own peace. <clears throat> and she said, you're totally wrong. I hate everything about your book and your message. And I wrote back, you're perfectly entitled to do that. I never said I was <clears throat> all-knowing. My book was about my path to a better place. I hope and pray your path <clears throat> will get you there. She sent one last note. I'm miserable. I hate life. <clears throat> my brother killed himself. And I am the most unhappy person in the world. And I said, I hope to God you can find a way to change that. <clears throat> I'm sorry that my way wouldn't work for you. And that was the end of it. So, you, you know, it's not, and, you know, I'm not like a doctor of psychiatry. I have no idea if anybody else could do this. But I do think there's there's universal lessons here. <clears throat> and it's that if you have some forgiveness in your heart about the people who did it, <clears throat> it, it you're doing it to heal. And you're doing it to like yourself better. And you're doing it because every person you touch, whether it's a spouse or a child or a neighbor or colleague, the better you are, the better you give. And you've got to find a way to do that. And not, I, I simply wrote how I did it. Took way too long, way too many mistakes, way too convoluted. But I got there. And that's all I can say. I got there. <clears throat> I'm in a good place. I've been in a good place. And all of the healing is has helped me with every relationship I have. <clears throat> every single one of them. And for me, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what you said about just understanding it. Because forgiveness, like you said, forgiveness does not mean that what happened to you was okay. Um, I'm, by all you know, means, um, it took me a while to not be angry with my father. And, and it really took me understanding that, you know, he was abused himself. Yes. And it, it took that and me having that compassion, that understanding 
for me to let go of that anger. Um, right. And once I let go of that <clears throat> anger, it it was like weight was lifted off of me. Exactly. And, and I was able to breathe and understand. And, and I think that that is the key. And I think what you did there, I mean, I think that it's, it's incredible. I think it'd be hard for a lot of people to say and do what you did towards the end of your father's life. But, but that's what it takes to be able to move forward. And you would have done it too. Your goal is ultimately to do what you've done and what I've now done is break that cycle. Mm -hmm. The cycle, you're, somebody had to have abused your dad. I'm sure of it, right? I mean, yeah. and maybe your mom 100%. too. Yeah, and they, they grew up in horrible lives and they were raised by horrible people. And they mm -hmm. what they did is, I remember one time my dad was beating me at the buckle end of the belt and, I, and they, they were, you know, black and blue marks right up, up on my bones. <clears throat> my entire legs were just purple from my knee to my hip. He just wouldn't stop beating me. <clears throat> and I just begged him, Dad, stop, stop. And he beat my brother worse. And <clears throat> he said, my father beat me with a wet rope till I couldn't mm -hmm. walk. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what crow men do. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, mm -hmm. I said, why? Did you hate what your dad did to you? That son of a, you know, how do you think I feel about you? I don't give a goddamn. And you're like, really? So what you've done, Laura Lee, and what I've done is we're not doing that to the next generation. And we're mm -hmm. not doing that to our partners, our colleagues, niece, nephew, cousins, people, people that are in your life. You're breaking that cycle. You're giving them a positive <clears throat> force that's going to help them, you know, to go up and hit somebody because you were hit. Well, I was hit, so I'm going to hit you. <clears throat> You're like, really? Mm -hmm. That And <laughs> that's the cycle. Yeah, I was, I was abused terribly, so why don't I abuse you worse? <clears throat> I want you to really understand what this was all about. You think, wow. You, you you got to this point in life and your goal is to give worse than you got. Yeah. It's so, wow. It's absolutely. Uh, and you, and you know, they feel bad about what they've did. How can you like yourself when you abuse somebody else? How can you? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and you know, it is, it is hard to break the cycle. I get that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really hard. It was it was really hard for me to get out of that that whole mindset of I'm going to do better or I, it first took me understanding that I could do better, that there was something exactly. else out there than what I was living. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's I, I, that's I the light. That's the light bulb that goes off. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do this. I don't have to repeat this because if you do, the people you are attract are like the people that raised you, you will stay in that loop. <clears throat> no one, mm -hmm. if you can attract someone far better than you, it won't last when they find out that you're not better. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. you see what, like water and humans seek their own level. What you want out of your life <clears throat> is to raise your level to want somebody that loves you back, 
treat you right, likes themselves, has respect for all of the things they should have, and then your life gets much, much better. But when you're seeking what raised you, you just sink lower and lower and lower. And the, and the sadness is so many people can't break through. They just yeah. can't. This, that's so true. That's, that's, that's the hard truth. It's, it's wanting, seeing that you can do better and wanting it. And, and that takes a lot, but I appreciate you sharing your story and just the story of resilience and of post-traumatic growth, because it is achievable. And I think that's what people need to be able to see that. And so I'm so grateful. Well, thank you. And if they do read the pale face line, the thing that I think, the reason I think the book's done better than it should, I mean, better than I thought, it's very real. And you feel that little boy growing up and you always know that little boy wants to do better. And you keep wondering if he's going to get there. And you keep wondering and wondering and wondering. And when he gets there, you say, oh, my God. You think you could have hit every single bump in the road twice, but you got there. <laughs> you did get there. You went backwards. You fell into sinkholes. Wheels came off the machine, but you got there. And I think that's the story. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else that you would like to add? My appreciation for you. And the, the, the power of your podcast and the fact that you're investing yourself in helping people understand what people like you and I went through. <clears throat> people who listen to this, and if they absorb these lessons, and we all hope they will, they're going to get better. And thank you for trying to help people get better. You, there's no greater calling. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so grateful for your kind words, you know. I'm just trying to create something that I wish I had when I was when I was younger and struggling. Um, exactly. So, so thank you so much for that. Well, every and every time you reach that person, one bad day for you goes away. I really believe that. You get far more from giving than receiving. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for joining me today, David. It's a pleasure, Laura Lee. Hope I meet you someday and good luck and I'll keep listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, that was David Crow, author of The Pale Face Lie, A True Story. For more info on David, you can click on that scrolling fortune cookie right there on your screen and that will send you right to his website. Also, January's issue of Authentic Insider is out, which you can find on Trauma Survivor Thriver. Dot com. That's TraumaSurvivorThriver.com. David also contributed to June's past, past issue of Authentic Insider, which you can also find on the website. Just click on the Authentic Insider tab and you can scroll down to June's issue. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. Thank you so much for joining me today. We will be back on Fireside next week. And... That will be January 25th at 11.30 as usual. And my guest will be Corinne Coppola, trauma recovery specialist and founder of Rest Retreats. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. 
Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Take care.